I realized that there were a lot of emotions that I was running away from because they were just too painful to face or too painful to work through to make space for them, right? The only way I can get to my nefeshali kiss is if I work through what's blocking it first. Hi there, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. If you are listening to this and would like to support the work of Human and Holy in the world, I would like to invite you to sponsor an episode of the podcast in honor of a birthday, yard site, someone you love. Visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at info at humanandholy.com to find out sponsorship opportunities for each episode. Today, we have Tippi Pekarski talking about the greatest blockage we experience to our connection with our souls, and that is our illusions of perfection. Tippi describes becoming a mother and struggling to connect on a real level with her children. And she went digging for answers in the wisdom of Chassidus. What blocks us from connecting deeply to the people around us? How do our futile attempts to circumvent our humanity end up shutting our souls down from connecting to our loved ones and to God. Today, we have a beautiful exploration of the godly soul's natural state of connection and how making space for our humanity ultimately allows our souls to shine. Hi, my name is Sophie Pokarski. I have six children, Kanainara, and I live in Artisrael. I did not grow up Lubavitch. And then I married someone who is. And I had a very interesting journey with learning Hasidus and how it impacted my life and changed a lot about my life. And yeah, I want to share a little bit of those experiences with you. I give a Tanya class in my house once a week to married women. I teach in Maya Note women's program. That's basically it. Nice. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey to Chabad Hasidis? I started teaching on the online school, like when I was living in Eretz Now they closed down the European division, but when the European division was open, that's where I was teaching. And one of the subjects that I was given to teach was Likute Sichais. And I actually never learned to Sicha before in my life. And I still remember the first seicha that I learned. It was like huge. <laughs> like I needed my husband to help me with every single word. But it was literally love at first sight. Like I just learned that seicha and I loved it. And then I learned another seicha and another seicha. And I really threw myself into, started with learning the Rebbe seichas. And then it moved on to Tanya and then my marim. 
So it was basically something that Hashem really forced me into. Like I didn't choose it, but I enjoyed it so much and really embraced it. And it's interesting because before I got married, I didn't feel like I was lacking anything in my Avedis Hashem and in my relationship with Hashem. But once I started learning Chassidus, it was just an eye-opener. Like different things came up where I realized, oh, this could be more real, you know? Mm. As a girl, as a single girl, when I was in Shadduchim, it was a bit confusing for me. Like I wasn't sure where to put myself so much, but I just, I knew deep down that I just wanted to do the right thing. And I davened really hard. I said, Hashem, I don't know what you want from me, but just guide me there, you know, just take me there. And it's very interesting because then like my husband was read to me and like, I didn't even realize what I was getting myself into. And that's it. Hashem basically led me to Chassidus. That's it. I can never look back. Wow. So your husband is Chabad. You married a Chabad yeah. man. So how did that happen if you were not at the time connected to Chabad Chassidus? What community were you part of? So my family's just like nothing, like everybody something else kind of thing. My father is, he holds himself Chassidish, but not any specific Chassidus. I do have an older brother who's Chabad. But no, the way the Shidduch came about was nothing to do with my brother or anything like that. It could be my in-laws were open to it because of my brother. And for my husband, he didn't learn in Chabad schools, so he wasn't so much in the system. So I guess that's why, you know, I don't know. I guess it was just meant to be. That's amazing. Like Hashem literally led you to this place. Yeah, very much so. Okay, so I'm really excited to get to discuss Chassidus with you and to hear practically how it's impacted your life. Today, we're going to talk about connection, connection to ourselves, to other people, to Hashem, and what things you have learned in Chassidus have opened you up to that connection with yourself, with your loved ones, and with Hashem, and what that journey looks like for you, past and present. So can you share a little bit with us about what your journey has been with connection? Yeah. So I think what started out as you know, I was a from girl. I had dreams of how my life should look and how things are going to be. And then I got married and Bar Hashem had children and raising a family. And when you start like reading like Shalom Bayes books and parenting books, and it's like always like, yeah, you need to have a relationship with your kids and empathize and be there for them. And I really was finding it very difficult, like really connecting to my children in a real way. And plus I was like learning Hasidus and like, I'm like, one second, how do we really live Hasidus? Like, how do I live this? It didn't feel like I was really connecting. I was like, okay, something's wrong. Like something's got to change. You know, this is not okay. I realized that I want to learn more about this idea of connection. For me, it started with my kids, but it really touches every aspect of our life. Davening, you know, especially when you have a whole family and you're busy it's like davening is like the greatest form of connection. It's an emotional experience. And it's something that like, if I'm tuned in, then it's something that I want. It's not like I have to. So it's davening, it's emotional intimacy with our children, our spouses, the people around us. It's physical intimacy, like really being able to connect on a very deep, real level. And I was trying to figure out 
in Tanya, in Perak Yodalid, the Alter Rebbe writes about the Nefesh kiss, right? It says, It can't be separate. The Nefesh kiss is something that's a part of a whole. It needs connection. Connection is actually a very holy need. And the way the Baal Tanya explains it, it seems that if I am in my healthy, natural state, then I should want connection or I should actually be there in, you know, be present in this place because that's really what I want, right? The Nefesh kiss is like this selfless part of me that actually feels half. It only feels whole when it's connected to someone else. So I knew that that's like, you know, when you know, like the, the way it's supposed to be, but then you're like, okay, so what's blocking me from being in that natural state that the Baal speaks about so much. So that's when I started really digging. And what I learned is that in order to connect, we need to be present. And in order to be present, we need to be exactly where we are. The problem is that I felt, at least in my own experiences, is that something's blocking me from being present. Just being told to be present is not helpful. There's something blocking me from being present. So the question is, what are those blockages? What are those blockages that are not allowing us to be present and then not allowing us to connect properly? So in order for me to be present and in neshama mode, that's what I like to call it, because when I'm in neshama mode, then I want to connect naturally, right? Because again, it's natural and it's innately my healthy state. I can't be wrapped in my ego insecurities and fears. I found that what doesn't allow us to be present is our ego, basically. The Alter Rabbah brings down in a mimer, a Hasidic discourse, in Lysia Mishakela. He brings down at the very end, he talks about the chait of Adam and Chava. What happened after that chait was that they became self-conscious. They started feeling themselves. Right, And over there, the Alter Rebbe says that that is the beginning of Gasos Haruach, right? which is the coarse spirit, which is your ego. And from that point on, it became, and it's interesting because for Adam and Chava, it was a spiritual thing. Like Chava felt that it would be good for her to eat from the Etadas. She felt that like, it's good for her, then she'll know between good and bad, and this is good for her, and that's bad for her, right? And she started basically feeling. She wanted to experience, right? Before the chait of the etadas, they were seamlessly one with their source. Mm-hmm. So they didn't feel anything. They were just a conduit, right? What Chava wanted was, yes, to feel. And that's why she ate from the etadas. At that point, this self-consciousness came upon us. And it says, every person, like, it's not like anyone could get away from this. Like, it affected everyone. And, and even in that mimer, the Alter Rebbe quotes that there are even four tzaddikim, that the only reason why they died is because of this toxicity that stuck to them from the chait of the etzadas. Mm. So the thing is like this, we all have this self-consciousness, right? This uncomfortable feeling 
that we have that we feel ourselves. And it's quite painful, actually. And I find that the reason why we don't deal with it is because it is too painful. And it's easier to run away and distract myself from all my human emotions and self-consciousness than to actually face it and work through it and then get past it. It's a blockage, right? So it's very interesting because when you look at, you know, in a different mimer, a different Hasidic discourse, he brings actually where you see how Nayach, right? He basically realized that this self-consciousness that came upon the people was not a good thing, right? The world was actually going in a really bad direction. And so after the Mabel, it says that he planted a vineyard. And it's explained in the discourse that the reason why he actually did that is because he wanted to go back to pre-chet etadas. He wanted the world to go back to the way it was before Adam and Chava ate from the etadas. So he planted a vineyard and his way was, let's run away. Let's drink wine, get drunk. There's the concept of when you drink wine, you can come out of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So he was trying to run away. And we see that the results were actually not that good in the end, right? He ended up uncovering himself, which also in the Mimer explains that because exactly for that reason, he wanted to go back, right? Adam and Chava didn't wear clothing. Mm. But the point is that post chet et hadas, once it's after, this is not the way. We can't decide one day, okay, this self-consciousness is not good. Let's just take off our clothing, right? And be God conscious. That's not the way it works. Once it happened, and once we're post chet et hadas, we need to work through our self-consciousness, but not to get stuck in it, right? Not to become self-absorbed, but to actually be able to transcend to something that's higher than my self-consciousness, which is my God consciousness. So essentially the idea is, is that the kiss intrinsically wants to be connected to itself, wants to be connected to Hashem, wants to be connected to other people. And that's our innate character. But then because of the sin of Eitzadas, we have these blockages and this self-consciousness and this ego that gets in the way of that pure connection with each other and with Hashem and with who we really are. Where in your life have you experienced those blockages and how has Hasidus given you the tools to move through those blockages? Right. So it's very interesting because when you had asked me to speak on this podcast and I looked into your podcast and I realized that your podcast is called Human and Holy, I was like, wow, okay, that's it. When I started learning Tanya, I have to say the first thing that hit me was like a comfort. I never had this before in the other systems that I learned where somebody came and said, you're human. You have a nefesh Bahamas and a nefesh kiss, and let's try to go into your inner world and figure out what's going on, right? And also what I learned is that the true definition of bittel is when I can accept my humanness. You see, it's the ego that needs to pretend that it's perfect. 
The ego is the one that's constantly trying to protect me from I'm good, I don't need anything, I don't need you, like I'm okay, I'm gonna show you how okay I am, right? Bittal is when I can accept my humanness, right? I can accept the fact that I'm not perfect, right? And it's not about being perfect, it's the Nefeshali kiss is okay with being half. The ego is not. The ego is selfish and the Nefeshik Eli kiss is selfless. So the thing is, is that when I'm working from a place of ego and I'm constantly trying to fill a void of self-worth, of self-value, there's something that I'm constantly trying to protect. So then I'm sort of like building walls around myself. I'm like in this survival mode of you know, you know the ego survival modes, right? It's flight, fright, freezer, fawn. All these things are blocking me from being open, from being vulnerable. So in my personal life, what I needed to do was to start really getting connected to my inner emotions and realizing what is it that I want? What is it that I need that's not being met, that I'm trying to fill? And I realized that there were a lot of emotions that I was running away from because they were just too painful to face or too painful to work through mm. to make space for them. The only way I can get to my nefeshali kiss is if I work through what's blocking it first. And people make a mistake. People think like, oh, you're going to become so self-centered, so self-absorbed because it's all about what do I need and what needs weren't met as a child and all those kinds of things. But I disagree. I think that it's not about getting stuck there. It's the opposite. It's like, I need to work through it so that I can make space for it so that I can get past it. Mm -hmm. So what we easily do is what Nayakh tried doing is we try to run away. We distract ourselves. We have a lot of good distractions these days. We try to numb our pain, right? We don't allow ourselves to even like feel anything. And a lot of times we tell ourselves like, oh, like seriously, you're so selfish. You really need that. Like just get past it, right? And we tell our kids that. And like, if you can't empathize with yourself, how will you ever be able to empathize with your child? Mm. Right? You get where I'm going? Like, yeah, it's basically realizing how I first need to accept my things make space for my emotions that I'm not connected with, accept it and be compassionate because we all have needs that are not being met. And then it's amazing. I don't know. It works. Somehow you're just in a better space and like you're able to then really accept others and be compassionate for others and see others in the same light, which is also interesting. Like you see in Tanya and Paraglamid Bays where when the Alter Rebbe talks about a Havzi Stral, this is exactly what he says also. It's like, you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself, right? Yeah, you have to understand yourself first. You spoke at the beginning about how you were struggling to connect with your children. And you're saying here how when you are not connected to yourself, it's impossible to connect to your child. What did that practically look like for you to actually become connected to yourself so that you could connect to your children in a real way, connect to your spouse in a real way, connect to friends, family, people around you in a, a deep way. Right. So the main inner work is 
I'm saying is because this is not something that I mastered and like I'm done. No, this is constant work. Yeah, of course. Is to get in touch with my emotions and embrace them and let them be, make space for them, understand them and be compassionate. And then that's why I want to talk about compassion because it's part of the Aveda. It's part of the work that we do is, you know, turning to Hashem in the places where I feel where my needs are not being met. And it's really just making space for what's going on underneath. People are very complex, right? We're very complex human beings. And there's a lot going on, right? When my child tells me something and I get really angry or nervous, right? And I really react. There's a reason. I was just triggered. There's something that's buried very deep down underneath that I want to get in touch with so that next time my child comes and tells me that, I can respond and not react. So it's really about getting in touch with your emotions, understanding them, letting them be. And sometimes I'm telling you, it is so painful. It's like, you just want to run away. Like, no, I can't do this. Like, no, okay. I'm tired. I'm going to sleep, you know, like, or I'm running to the fridge. I'm hungry. I need to eat something that's called emotional eating or like, okay, let me just check my WhatsApp. Right. We run to distractions so fast because it's hard work. It's really hard work to just sit with your emotions, sit with your unmet needs or whatever it is that you're feeling. You have to really be honest, but give yourself that space and dig deeper and realize what's going on underneath. And it just happens automatically. You just made space. And so now there's space for somebody else. You made space for yourself. You sort of let your ego be, right? Because we are human. We have it. So we let it be. We accept it. That is bittle. That is bittle. It's where I'm putting my ego in its place. I'm understanding it and I'm accepting it and I'm acknowledging it. I'm working through it. And now I can transcend to my holiness. I can transcend to the part of me that is selfless. Now I'm not wrapped up in myself anymore. Now I have space for someone else. You see, I find the ego trap is when I'm so wrapped up in my ego, there is no space for somebody else. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like making space for your own humanity so it doesn't get in the way. Exactly. Of- actually connecting to other people. Right. If something's bothering you, right? Like right now you're not feeling seen, for example, and you are just ignoring that. Okay. And then suddenly like you're just snapping at everybody around you. Right. What I'm trying to say is, is that when you're not going to deal with your emotions face on, it's going to creep into every other area of your life. And that is what doesn't allow us to be present because there's something else that's taking up space that I didn't deal with. And really, if you ask me, I don't know if I'm right, but like, I feel like the Balatanya, this is the whole Tanya. Why do I need to know about my Nefesh Bahamas in the first place? It's like, why do I need to know my inner workings, my inner world, what's going on? It's because if you're not going to know about it, you'll never be able to work through it. Your Nefesh Bahamas will come creeping in over there and over there and over there, and you're not even sure what's going on, right? And it's just, it does creep in. 
so many times, like we have a reaction towards something and we're like, okay, what's going on? Like, why did I react like that? Like later on when you could think about it and you have more clarity, you're like, okay, oh, you know, I was really hungry. Like sometimes it could be simple as I was hungry and tired. But if you know that you're hungry, so you could sit down and eat something, right? And then you're just okay. What has been your experience when the need is deeper, not eating, but something deeper that maybe can't even be fixed? Right. So that's fascinating because I actually found it in a mimer. And the answer to that is compassion. What's explained in the mimer is like this. When we look at the spheres, right? The 10 spheres. It's Chachma, Bina, right? Chachma on the right, Bina, Das is in the middle. Then we have Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes in the middle. And Netzach, Haid, Yesaid is in the middle. And then Malchus is all, all the way on the bottom in the middle. And we have Keser, which is all the way on the top in the middle. And in the Mimer, in the Chesedic Discourse, the Alter Rebbe explains that anything that's on the right and the left, Chachma, Bina, Chesed, Gevura, on the right and the left, there's different levels of what we can access with chesed and gevura, right? There's the level of merkava, which is the level of the avais, and then there's a the level of shvatim, which is more accessible to us human beings. But what's fascinating is that the middle line, the kav ha'imtsai, it says about it, right? Brich ha'tichayin mavriach mikatsay el ha'katsay, right? The beams of the center, this is talking about the mishkan, is the beam from one end to the other, meaning to say, the lowest reaches the highest, the highest reaches the lowest. When it comes to the middle kav, the middle line, when I could tap into any of those midas, I could reach a very, very high level of that mida. And what the Altarev explains in the Mimer is compassion. When I could be compassionate, so chesed is more about like, okay, it's about love, it's about trying to help, right? Chesed is where I want to help the person, right? Gavura is more like judging the situation, like how to fix it, you know, do I deserve this, do I not? It's Teferes, which is in the middle, is compassion. Compassion is not judging the situation, and it's not trying to fix the situation. It's just feeling. When I'm compassionate to someone else, I'm not judging them. I'm not even trying to help them. I just want to feel what they are feeling. So I can't be compassionate to somebody else if I don't know how to be compassionate to myself. That's one. And two, the reason why the compassion works is because it says in this mimer that when I have compassion, I arouse a very high level of compassion from Hashem. And that is what comes and fills that void and heals the pain of whatever need is not being met. I'll just go on to say something fascinating here. If you realize that Das, Teferes, Yesaid are all related to connection, right? Das is when I could connect to the concept. Teferes is what we just spoke about, the compassion. Yesaid is connection, right? Emotionally to other people. And Malchus, that's where we women come in is what I said about before, is embracing your humanness. What is the bittel of Malchus? Malchus realizes that it has nothing of its own. It really needs. When I could have bittel of Malchus, when I could admit and say, 
I have nothing and I need. That's when I'm actually an open vessel to receiving. And once I could receive, that's when I could be malchus, which is expression. I can give forth. For me, personally, this was one of the best shalom bias tips, is where I can, right, I can't receive if I can't admit that I need first. Malchus is all about needing. It's needy. It is. So when I could have bittel of malchus, when I can admit that I need, right? So now I know I need. All I have to do is say I need. And then the mashpia is so happy to give. And then I'm happy to receive, right? Because again, I put my ego aside. My nefeshali kiss has self-worth. It has self-value. It knows that it deserves. It wants to accept. It wants to connect. It's not playing the cold shoulder. It's saying, I need and I'm ready to receive. And that really is very helpful in Shalom Bias. Hmm. What else? I think it's beautiful because I think that so much of real connection with other people is being able to handle other people's desires and needs. And when we are so stuck in our own experience, because we feel like our needs, our wants are not met, we're not able to like embrace our humanity. Then when someone is complaining to us, it's hard to connect to them. It's hard to hold their, exactly. their struggle, you know? Right, right. This was the one of the biggest things in all the parenting books. Like, you need to empathize with your child. And I'm like, why am I not able to do that? Like, what's going on? You know, like really, really be there and feel them and empathize with them. Because when I'm just so wrapped up in my own self, then I, I can't. I can't be there for somebody else. But that's the irony is that you say when I'm so wrapped up in my own self, but it's really because like you think you're not wrapped up in yourself because you're not letting yourself go there in terms of your needs and wants. You're not acknowledging your needs. And we could see that as a really positive thing. Like, yeah, I don't indulge myself all these needs. I don't indulge myself, my humanity. But then what ends up happening is that it ends up forming this blockage around us that prevents us from connecting to other people in that human way. Right. It backfires. Exactly. Totally. Totally. And again, like when you're able to do that, so then you graduate to your nefeshali kiss. You don't get stuck in yourself. You don't. You actually make more space for somebody else. You get what I'm saying? We think like, oh, this is self-indulging, right? But that's our ego. Our ego is saying, oh, like you're perfect. You don't need anything. Mm. That's not true. You're not a human. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like when you make a mistake and you're beating yourself up for it, like, oh, like really? And who says you can't make a mistake? Your ego tells you you can't make a mistake. And the altar of it talks about that. Yeah. Like that feeling down about our mistakes and about our struggles is literally ego. Exactly. Right. I love how you said that, that it's ego to think that I don't have needs or desires or pain or anything that needs to be addressed or held. Exactly. I find that people have a little bit of a misconception of what bittel means. For some reason, I don't know why, people think bittel means I'm nothing. I actually don't see it like that. I see bittel as I'm everything. <laughs> mean to say that there's this ego part that I need to be mevatel, right? There's the bittel hayesh. There's the ego that I need to be mevatel. But guess what happens when I'm mevatel? The ego, a much bigger 
and healthier part of me emerges. So now I'm everything in a true sense. That's true self-worth, true self-value. Can you define in English what you mean by being mevat al What do you mean by that? It's accepting my humanness. It's acknowledging it and working through it, not pretending like it's not there. You could tell yourself something a hundred times, but it's just a way of running away from it. It's like, oh, you don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. Like, I still remember when I started learning Tanya and like, you know, in the beginning where the Alter Rebbe speaks about and I didn't understand yet what's going on. So, So somebody hurt my feelings like really badly. And I was really, really hurt. And just the night before, I learned Mayach Shalat Alev. And I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, one second, Mayach Shalat Alev. Mayach Shalat Alev. Like, why are you feeling hurt? You know, and I'm trying to like control the situation. And like, it was so bad. With every moment, I was feeling more angry and more upset because that wasn't working. And I'm like, one second. It's not like that. What is it like? Can you give us, I would love to showcase, like, can you share a personal example? of you moving through this process in order to get to that yeah. nefeshali kiss, that neshama right. zone. Yeah. So for example, let's say I'm sitting on the floor and playing with my child. And then this whole, you know, a lot of insecurity and fears come, just takes me over. And I'm thinking to myself, am I a good mommy? Am I not a good mommy? Do I connect to my kids? Does my child feel connected to me? Does he not? I just yelled at him like five minutes ago, you know, and all these self-conscious thoughts come in. And guess what? I'm totally not present, right? I'm sitting on the floor trying to play with my child, but I'm not present. And there's even a part of me that just wants to just get up and go to the computer because that just feels better, right? This is just too complicated. So instead of running to the computer, I stop and I think to myself, okay, this is really hard. You're here. You're trying to sit and play with your child. And there's all these fears and insecurities that are coming over you. And that's really hard because they're real. You know? Yeah. I don't mean to say that they're real as in fears are real, but like these are real feelings that we have. These emotions don't have to make sense. They're there and we have them. And I just acknowledge it. And I feel compassion towards myself and my nefeshali kiss, right? The Atarabba always talks about feeling compassion for the nefeshali kiss. Nefeshali kiss just wants to be there connecting with my child, right? Mm. And then I'm able to move past that and say, okay, so right now it's my neshama connecting to my child's neshama. So that's sort of like a process of recognizing it, facing it, being compassionate, even asking Hashem, Hashem, I want to connect to my child here. Can you help me? Can you help me like get past this like fear that I'm having or these insecure feelings or thoughts and just help me, help me just connect. And then I could be in Neshama mode. I just made space for myself and now I could move into Neshama mode. Or another great example that I love using, because I think everybody relates to this also, is when you go to a wedding and you're dancing with the kala, right? And naturally, we're like so self-conscious. 
you know, I'm in the middle. Everybody's looking at me. Do I look pretty? Do I look skinny? Do I look fat? Is the Kala interested in dancing with me? Is she not? Did she dance with her best friend before me? Or I don't know. There's all these like thoughts. And I think to myself, like one second, why am I at this wedding? I'm here to connect and to be misameach this Kala, right? It's about one Ishama connecting to another and sharing this happiness of what, you know, she's getting married. So it's being able to realize my self-consciousness and making space for it and being able to get past it and say, okay. And then just looking into the Kala's eyes and saying, it's my neshama dancing with her neshama. I'm like, let's do this, you know? And I think it's just natural. It's really natural for a neshama to want to dance with another neshama. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. And and just like you said with Nayak, that he wanted to get drunk. He wanted to be naked. He wanted to, he wanted to do away with that humanity and with that self-consciousness to run away from the process of acknowledging the humanity because it's more uncomfortable to acknowledge my insecurity in the middle of the circle to acknowledge, oh, I'm about to dance with the bride and I feel uncomfortable and I'm so aware of myself and I don't feel good in my body or whatever it is. It's more comfortable to try to just ignore it. And then we end up fleeing the whole experience. And then we're not making eye contact. We're not connecting. But if I'm able to exactly really ground myself in the discomfort and then move into the neshama mode, I love how you said that, especially because the animal soul is wrapped around the godly soul. And so we have to wade through those waters in order to access the neshama mode, as you said. Exactly. Exactly. They're entangled in each other. And the Baltani also asks this, right? Why do they have to be entangled? Why can it just be Nefesh kiss on the right, Nefesh Bahamas on the left, and battling a war? No, they're like enmeshed. They're like intertwined, you know? So it's really working through and getting to the essence. Yeah. Well, I love that example and the way that you said it, that it's the most natural thing in the world for one soul to want to dance with another soul because two souls dance with each other with their bodies. So that's such a beautiful metaphor for what it means to bring our full yeah. self to the table. Exactly. Can you give us more examples? Because I love your examples and I feel like it really grounds the ideas that you're sharing. I could say there's another area how this gets really helpful in the area of connection and relationships is that when you realize your when you get in touch with your emotions and your needs and your pain so then it's less about other people it's more you get to own your things do you know what i'm referring to it's less blaming on other people it's like oh this is my pain it was just triggered now by what somebody said but really it's mine i own it when i am in touch with my true self-worth and my true self-value right which is my nefeshly kiss then I'm not needy, okay? The reason why we're needy is because I need you to make me feel good. So what happens is, is that when I'm relying on other people to make me feel good, that's when I'm needy. And when they're not being nice to me or someone says something hurtful or I have expectations that are not being met, that's when I get really hurt. But that's not being vulnerable. Vulnerable, right, which is the basic ingredient for healthy relationships, is when I realize I don't need you to make me feel good. I'm okay just the way I am. 
I accept myself. I know that Hashem loves me just the way I am. This is how I am. I'm human and, and I'm okay. And I have innate self-worth, but I need your connection. I need this relationship. So it's when you turn to the other person and you can just express yourself and say, you know, when you say that, it hurts me because, and you don't even have to say because why, but you know deep inside that there's this pain that you're carrying along with yourself that this person just triggered, but it's mine. I own it. You didn't do anything to me. You just like brought it out in me, right? So you're walking around less just being mad at the world. You start owning yourself, your stuff. And because I value myself and because I value our connection, I will express to you how that makes me feel rather than be angry or play the cold shoulder or, you know, resentment and all that horrible stuff that really get in the way of relationships. I don't know if that was like another example. I just, it's like another knight that I wanted to mention, owning your stuff rather than blaming the world for everything. So that's what I was wondering in this point that you're getting across is what is the line between expressing how something makes you feel and blaming other people for your emotions? Because the reason why I'm expressing is because I value myself and our connection. And that's why I'm expressing this because that other person doesn't want to hurt me, right? And I'm letting you know that when you say that, for me, it's a sensitive spot. Like this makes me feel bad. So I'm just letting you know that that triggers a very deep part of me, you know, and you could be open or not and say why, but like the reason why I'm telling you is not because I'm angry at you and not because I'm blaming you is because I value our connection. I want to be connected to you, right? And I don't want to have things come in the way of our connection. I value myself. So I don't want to get hurt unnecessarily. That doesn't mean you won't get hurt ever, but I mean to say if you could avoid it and let the other person know, then why not? Right. And then I value this connection. I value this relationship because I understand how important relationships and connection is. How would you say you take the process from being like, you focus on the human, you make space for the humanity so it doesn't get in the way of your neshama. But then what does it look like to move into neshama mode? Like what is that process? Making space for the humanity and then moving into neshama mode and operating from that place. Right. So going back to that Hasidic discourse of the Alter Rebbe where he speaks about chet etadas, and it's interesting because over there he says, you know, that Chava knew it was good for her. Like she'll be able to know good from bad. And you think to yourself, hey, that's like a very positive thing, right? Like, isn't that our goal? We all want to become self-aware and know what's good for us, what's bad for us, right? But the Alter Rebbe ends off saying over there that the ultimate is where you don't feel yourself. You become so seamlessly one with your godliness. You become like this conduit for godliness where you actually don't feel yourself as much. That's what it means. There's actually a story where somebody came to the Rebbe, and in Yiddish, he asked him, which in English translated, that means, how do you feel yourself? Really, he was asking, how does the Rebbe feel? Mm. And the Rebbe answered him, as me feel is nishgot. 
if you feel yourself, it's not good. Meaning to say, there's a, a sicha also where the Rebbe speaks. He says, look at the body. The body is a perfect example. I don't feel my fingers. I don't feel my toes. I don't feel my head because it's the way it's supposed to be if I'm healthy is that my body is just one thing and there's energy that's flowing through, right? And blood and everything is getting what they need. So I don't feel it. Now, when do I start feeling my finger? When I get a cut, right? When it's not, something's wrong or my head. If I have a headache, I start feeling my head. So when I'm in a healthy state, I don't feel myself as much. I become seamlessly one with my true essence. It's like when I really connect to someone or something, if it's a mitzvah, if it's through davening to Hashem, if it's your children, your spouse, whatever it is that you're connecting with, when I'm really connecting, I'm not thinking I'm connecting. I'm in it. I become seamlessly one with it. And that I'm saying, I guess that's true presence. That's what it's called being present, right? I'm fully there. Nice. Do you think in your experience of your own life, of working through this, of accepting your humanity in order to make actual space for your neshama in your life, have you felt the process become more seamless where you do feel like you're able to move into that neshama mode? Absolutely. Again, I want to say that this is a process. It's lifetime's work. It's an ongoing challenge, but for sure, there's no question about it. Like it got much easier for me to daven and to connect to my children and just really be there for them. And yeah, I really do feel a difference. (laughs) What would be your advice to anyone else who is in that experience of blockage where they feel like they're having difficulty being present with themselves, with their family, with Hashem? How would you suggest beginning that journey and starting to like undo that belief or that resistance to real presence and compassion for ourselves? Right. So I think there's two parts. Number one is really having somebody that you could talk to, a mentor or anyone that will help you really get in touch with your inner world and your inner emotions. Because sometimes we're so shut down that we don't even know what's going on underneath. Like we really need to peel those layers away. And sometimes we need extra help doing that. That's one part. So getting in touch with what's going on. And the second part is when I am in touch, not running away from it, not running to distractions, which I think is the biggest challenge nowadays because we have so much distraction. So, you know, I'm not here to like bash technology and smartphones and all that. That's not the point. The point is the next time you're feeling like something painful just happened and you turn to your smartphone, don't like stop, sit with the pain. Don't turn to your smartphone. You get what I'm saying? Don't feed in on that running away from my emotions. The more I could be there and feel it and not distract myself and make space for it, the more I'm living, I'm alive. Running away and distracting ourselves and not allowing us to feel is it's almost like it's a disconnect and that causes anxiety, it causes depression, it causes a lot of things when we're disconnected from ourselves and the world around us. So yeah, 
those are my two pieces of advice. Nice. I feel like the message is fight apathy. <laughs> Allow yourself to really be a human being in the full spectrum of what that means, pain and joy and presence and connection. And that makes space for our neshama to fully experience life and mitzvah is Hashem, other people, ourselves, our mission. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha mechaberet nishmati tamidinecha mechaber mechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.